Welcome back to the Yoga Teacher Training Podcast. My name is Jeremy Devins, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Yogi Aaron, who is an entrepreneur, author, podcast host, yoga teacher, and co-owner of the Blue Osa Yoga Retreat and Spa in Costa Rica, and the creator of a revolutionary approach to yoga called Applied Yoga Anatomy Plus Muscle Activation. He just published a book, and we're going to talk about a lot of things today, uh, kind of let the conversation go organically, but welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Awesome. So I want to just start with like, first of all, just writing a book. That's pretty cool. Like that must be really exciting that your book just came out. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's, um, it's actually my second book. Um, you know, it's kind of funny, Jeremy, because like, I don't know if you've ever had that thought where, you know, if you're going to write something like a book and you think, oh my God, you know, like only those kinds of people write books. I would never write a book. And then I I wrote my first book, um, which was Autobiography of a Naked Yogi. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, then, and I thought, okay, that's it. No more. Like I did it once, you know, I'm published. Great. And then um, at the beginning of 2022, I was like sitting on this information and I thought, okay, let's put it out there and see what happens. So it was, it was something that came up together a lot easier. Um, but, uh, it's, this is something that I'm really proud of. Like, you know, when I, I'm, I look back at my life, this is like a masterpiece that I'm really, really excited about. And so I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes and, um, and what happens with it. So I haven't seen this yet. I haven't looked it up or anything, but what's it about? So the title of the book is called Stop Stretching and <laughs> a yogic approach to master your body and live pain-free. And it's really, it's about a few things. Um, it's first and foremost, I think part of the conversation I'm trying to create is one about flipping the script in yoga. Uh, if you ask most people what they think about when they think about yoga, they always think stretching, flexibility. Um, yoga teachers will stand in front of their class and say, you know, things like, you know, yoga has got nothing to do with flexibility or stretching, but then they'll fold forward and kiss their toes, you know, in a forward fold. And so there's a lot of mixed signaling. And I think that I'm just trying to flip the script. And what I mean by flipping the script is like starting to create two conversations simultaneously. One is like, if we're doing postures, why are we doing and what are we really doing? Um, and then two, kind of trying to direct it back to yoga's true intention, which is to really create the space as we do as yoga teachers to open up that space for people to tap into their life purpose and feel that empowerment and motivation and inspiration to go out and manifest it. So, so that's that's a part of the book, but the second part of it is also like just giving people more anatomy and more tools on how to feel stronger and more stable in their body. Um, so that's kind of like this the second part of it. Right. But you're still, are you still teaching like asana based classes? Like, absolutely. Yeah. And, absolutely. You, and I, this is something I've explored a lot too, similar, maybe similar reasons. Like I 
I got into yoga and like, I just felt amazing. It's like, I'm just going to do yoga all the time. I don't need anything else. Like I'll stop lifting weights. I'll stop doing other stuff. And that worked for a while. (laughs) And then I started to have like these chronic tensions and like my shoulders and my back and I would stretch it out thinking, well, if I stretch that will release the tension. Right. And that just wasn't happening. And I, ended up working with a body worker who taught me more about like, well, part of why it's tense is because you're stretching it so much and it's essentially <laughs> weakened and you've got to yeah. strengthen it. And again, it's like, Oh, I got to go back to the weights. Okay. Uh, I wonder yes. like what your journey was like, uh, do you have a similar experience? I absolutely. I mean, I come from a very strong fitness background. I, uh, I used to be very active in my younger years. I snowshoed, I dog sledded. It's a Canadian thing. <laughs> um, I also was a, a trail runner. I was a long distance runner, um, swimmer. I canoed, I did everything and ice hockey. And so by the age of like 18, 19, I was starting to notice that my body was really tightening up. And so I looked around and I saw old people that, were looking old because they didn't have any mobility. They were hunched over. They took small steps. And then I saw old people that looked really youthful and vibrant and they seemed to have mobility. So in my mind, I thought, okay, I should stretch. And of course, society is telling us that we should stretch. Um, And so I, I immediately went, okay, I'll go to the gym to, for my exercise and I'll go to yoga to stretch. And I think like, you know, you're a yoga teacher. You've seen like a lot of people kind of have that mentality. They go to the gym for their for their workouts. And, and so I started stretching and almost right out of the gate, I really hurt myself. Hmm. And I didn't, it took me 25 years to kind of figure out why that was happening. But when I say I was doing yoga back then, it was really stretching. I was really, that was my goal. That was my purpose. And then I really got into Ashtanga and that really did a number on my body looking back. And um, in, it, I ended up like with a lot of problems in my body. Like I had to hang up my, my hiking shoes by the age of 30. I had to, I started developing searing pain uh, in my neck right around 32, 33. And it would wake up in the middle of the night. Like somebody was digging a knife into my shoulder blades and So the solution was, you know, I go to yoga teachers and say, well, and this is the other thing that started happening was I started developing like this mentality of like, I have a bad back. And so, you know, and then I stopped doing back bends because I thought that was the problem, which was the absolute opposite. I should have been doing more back bends, but that's another story. Um, And so I thought, okay, well, I need to stretch my quads more and I need to stretch my hamstring. I go to yoga teachers and they'd say things like, you need to open up your lower back more. No, what I actually needed to be doing was more shalabhasana, more like locust pose, Superman pose, and getting those muscles to start firing properly. Um, And so when I was about 25 years in, I ended up in a surgeon's office who was telling me I might need a spinal fusion in my lower back right around between L4 and then S1. And he's like, this is not the best Avenue, but you know, if your pain continues, cause I was in so much chronic uh, pain. And so that that's kind of like a little bit about my yoga, you know, asana history. And I think that, 
you know, you hear this a lot, like yoga teachers trying to say, yes, you need to stretch and then build up strength. Um, but that's kind of like part of the, the script that I'm kind of flipping. And, and so you asked me if I teach asana, like, yeah, I teach a lot of asana, but I approach it very differently. And like with triangle pose, instead of like coming into like your full expression of triangle pose, I focus more, you know, and then opening up the side that you're stretching into, I focus more on engaging the side that you're going into so that there's more like, you're not focused so much on stretching, but more on engaging the muscles that are actually supporting the body in that pose. Yeah. And I think one of the cool things about yoga asana, like especially standing poses and the more active poses, it's a lot of isometric strength and a lot of endurance, which I imagine that part is probably comes naturally for you. It's like a lot of the endurance kind of training, a lot of the um, slow twitch muscle fiber kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. But I love that you said slow twitch fiber stuff. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I wish more teachers would say slow twitch fiber stuff. <laughs> yeah. <It's> awesome. <laughs> you know, and I, I've kind of come to it too. I was fortunate to have a very good anatomy teacher in Austin, Texas. But when I first couple of years, it was like it was all way over my head. Like I didn't have any idea what he's talking about. Uh, and I had to like really go the long route to get figured all that stuff out and and go through my own pain yeah. similar, but not as extreme as you. I mean, was was that all at that time when you were having those injuries? Was it some of it related to your past sports and stuff? Or was it like happening like in, you're practicing Ashtanga, then you'd go home and like have a back pain or like that kind of thing? It's a good question and one that I've literally pondered on. Um, yeah. a lot. I think that, you know, I think that some of us are just predisposed to certain weaknesses in our body in certain yeah. areas. So I'll give you an example. Like, like a lot of people, I have always had very tight hamstrings. And I think that doing a lot of snowshoeing really exacerbated that. And I think that my body, you know, when we're younger, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, we can compensate a lot and get away with it. We can get away with a lot of stuff when we're young, but there's always a price tag. And like you think about price tag, you look at ballerinas, uh, young dancers, you know, yeah. kids that go in and study dance at 16, 17. And then by 20, they, some of these kids are crippled. Um, gymnasts. You know, by the time they yeah. get 22, gym, I was just getting yeah. to gymnasts. Oh, gymnasts. Yeah. You can't you can't help but look at an Olympic lineup and see all these athletes in ace bandages, um, knee braces, elbow braces, shoulder braces, hot packs. And so when we start to espouse the wonder of these gymnasts, you know, we forget to mention the next breath. Yeah. And they need surgery by the time they're 30. So we can't compare ourselves uh, to them. So to answer your question like, I think that there was some inherent weaknesses. I'll, I'll, and I was telling you about my tight hamstrings. One of the poses, the yoga poses that I've always struggled with a lot. And even today, I, I can do it today now because I know how to prepare for it. It's a simple pose that some people just do really easily, Navasana. And I could never do Navasana, always put stress on my back. Well, instead of having a teacher come up and say to me, well, you're stressed because your brain isn't connecting to your abdominal muscles 
properly. You're, you're stressed. Your lower back is trying to compensate for holding this pose because your quads, specifically rectus femoris, isn't engaging properly and your psoas isn't engaged. So because those muscles aren't engaged, your lower back is trying to support the whole weight of the body. And that's why you feel pain there. What they would say to me is, well, you just have to keep doing the practice or <laughs> you just have to kind of like compensate by lowering your feet, you know? And so, but that was, I should have known, like had I known now back then, I would be in much better condition because I would know where my weaknesses are. I think a lot of yoga posture, there are some, I'm not going to say all of them, but some of the yoga postures like Navasana, as, as hard as they are and as stressful as they are, can reveal weaknesses. But the question isn't, or the answer isn't like, oh, well, just do the practice. The answer is, well, what are the muscular weaknesses? Which muscles are weak? And then how do we start turning them on and, and then start to strengthen those specific muscles? And that's sort of, the way that I'm starting to go in now and teaching other teachers to start thinking about the body is like learning to identify where are we weak, what muscles are they, and how do we get those muscles working in a better way? Right. And then is that like in the context of an asana class, like you might do little exercises to like engage the hip flexors specifically, or like bring awareness to you know, how this muscle is active and this muscle is lengthening, these kind of things? Sometimes, I, I mean, I mix it up. I yeah. love, love, love doing experiments. One yeah. of my favorite experiments is like doing just a simple forward fold, like Uttanasana, without any stress, like just kind of go into it, see what your range of motion is, come back up, and then do like one, two, or three muscle activations just to show people. And one of, you know, one of them is just a simple twist to activate the oblique muscles. You just do that one. And already some people get as much as a foot in range of motion, because when you're dropping down, we always think, well, it's because the hamstrings are tight or because the lower back is tight. It's like, well, no, those muscles are not moving your bones. Those muscles are lengthening in a response to the agonist muscles, which are contracting. So one of the biggest muscles is the oblique muscles, which kind of act as rotators and flexors, trunk flexors. And so I love just showing people that because within a minute, they get a range of motion and nobody came up and pushed them into it. They didn't grab their feet to come into it. It's just muscles moving bones. And I just, that kind of stuff like really fascinates me because when you see it in real time, you're like, oh my God. I <laughs> <laughs> love that. Yeah. And it's, it's teaching the yoga from the inside out and it's about their internal awareness. They're turning on the lights from the, the mind muscle connection and then being able to go yeah. into it. And it's not dependent on you assisting or, or you, that was one of my mentors. Like I, I thought I was really, you know, I'm going to impress her because I learned all these fancy assists of like, you know, <laughs> some of them from Ashtanga, <laughs> some of them from other modalities and Ashtanga has a lot of those like very hands-on, like very corrective very kind of assist. And it, it's like, yeah, you can, you know, if the person's very open, you can do some impressive stuff, but it's like, then what do you do when the teacher's not there? And is that really helping the student embody the practice? Or are you making them kind of dependent on you? And is that really safe? You know, there's all sorts of yeah. things with that, that 
can more likely, as, as it often does, could lead to injury, as you've experienced, yes. and so many Ashtangis I know have experienced. Um, so, so I love that. I love this approach of like, you just turn on the mind-muscle connection to a muscle you might not have thought was even involved in this, or yeah. even noticed, and now it's, you're, you know, you're deepening the pose, or you're stretching deeper, but it's actually more like you're activating more. Can I, I just want to comment on something you said, because you used a phrase, which I say incessantly, and that is turning on the lights. And yeah. it that's what muscle activation does is it literally is a light switch to turn on. And so in yoga, what we talk about, I think most yoga teachers across the board, myself included, talk about is a mind body connection and so what we're saying is that there's an awareness like oh i can feel my pinky toe move for example i have awareness of it um but when we're talking about turning on the lights this is like happening at an unconscious level and so or or more specifically in the autonomic nervous system so we're not aware like that our heart is beating rapidly i mean we can become a feel it but we can't necessarily tell our heart to beat faster. It just does it automatically. And so when, when we're talking about stability and, and that's why like, I love teaching what I'm teaching because it ties into Sutra 246 so well, Stiram Sukham, like the Stira building stability and that stability, it comes really at a deep uh, neurological, mus uh, neuromuscular level of your your brain literally sending a message to the muscle say contract so when i went up into navasana i couldn't hold it properly because my brain wasn't connecting to those muscles as much as i wanted to try as much as i was like bringing some mindful awareness to it <laughs> it wasn't happening right and so um what we're doing is i love that phrase turning on the lights um within those muscles and improving that muscular, that that neuromuscular connection between the muscle and the central nervous system. So I love that phrase. Turn on the yes. lights, baby. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's how I think of it. And you know, that's what we're moving towards enlightenment, like illuminating the body. Yes. And then we have the actual yes. electrical signals from the brain to the muscle as like an example of like the electricity is flowing if the lights are on. Yes. As one of my um anatomy teacher is Rachel Hector, who's he's done some cool like research at UT Austin. And um, she said this phrase, I was like three years into teaching and I had not heard this phrase before. And it just like blew my mind. And I was like, is that really, is that like, that's such a strong statement. And she said, uh, all stretching is neurological. And I was like, I thought it was all muscular. You know, I thought it was all the muscles and just doing the shape. She's like, it's all neurological. And I just like sat with that for like months of like, wow, that is such a different yeah. approach than just like trying to contort your body or force your body into shapes. And I yeah. love your approach. It's like, that's exactly it. You're, you're helping the students turn on the mind muscle connection and the poses. Yes. Yeah. So this is what you talk about in the book, right? Yeah. I mean, I, not the naked yogi book, probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's a whole other story. Uh, no, in in 
Yeah, and and it, I'm kind of ruminating on this idea of it being neurological. It really is neurological. Um, so you know, muscles tighten up as a neurological response to the brain or to the central nervous system sensing instability. And so when we're unstable, the body tightens up. Um, and it, and a clearest one of the clearest examples of that is, well, I give you two examples, but one is like, if you're walking on ice, you step out. I mean, I know you live in California, so, you know. I grew up in Minnesota. (laughs) I grew up in Minnesota. I had snowshoes. I know about that. (laughs) Ah, you guys snowshoe too in Minnesota, eh? (laughs) It's it's like a a tennis racket, basically, on your foot, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. (laughs) So, you know, like when the first kind of snowfall happens and, and you're not expecting it and you step outside and you kind of slip, your body tenses up. And um, so it's a protective mechanism in the body. That's a neurological response. And so that's, you know, and then I was telling you about my tight hamstrings. One of the things that we as yoga teachers, I really believe we have to remember this fundamental fact about muscles is that there's always that antagonist agonist relationship. So the hamstrings are tightening up as a response. I I deal with this all the time. Um, as a response to my quads not engaging properly, Mm. Um, more specifically the rectus femoris. So if you get the quads engaging, the hamstrings, you know, just let go and, and, and are not feeling that tightness. Um, And so we need, you know, muscle tightness from even more specifically from a neuromuscular standpoint, uh, muscle tightness is actually a result of muscle weakness. The question is, is what muscles are not weak or sorry, what muscles are not strong? What muscles are showing up as weak? And, and so I always say like, if you're kind of forcing a muscle to open, you're kind of violating your own body's um, natural protective mechanism, which is, you know, in my mind, which is the wrong thing we want to be doing in yoga is violating ourselves. Um, And that's a hard thing for, I think, a lot of people to wrap their head around because they they want to put their foot behind their head. Um, And it was interesting because I came across this video recently of this girl who, who has this kind of science YouTube channel and she was talking about the science of stretching. And so she brought on this professor who had this kind of graph and he says, yeah, when you start to pull a muscle, it sends a message to the central nervous system to actually want to shorten and the central nervous system sends back a message okay shorten and what he said was that over time that loop starts to dissipate it actually starts to cut off and so people that start to develop flexibility they actually are disrupting it's basically a disruption between the muscle and the central nervous system and it just starts to get cut off and from my perspective, what I'm actually trying to do is improve that connection. <laughs> and, and so people are like, well, but what about flexibility? And I'm like, well, you have mobility when the muscles are actually contracting properly. When you have, when muscles contract properly, you can have all the mobility you want. And you, you like, 
Okay, so then the devil's advocate, like the listener might say like, well, what about like a bodybuilder who only does contracting basically and barely does stretching yeah. and they can't even like touch their back uh, or anything like that. So what what about that? If somebody's only contracting, how are they not more flexible? So just remember like what I was just saying, like, so what it, if they're not able to reach their back, like if they lift their arm up and trying to touch in between their shoulder blades, for example, or, you know, sometimes like take one arm behind the back and scratch their back. If they can't do that, I think you and I would agree that, that we would say, well, there's muscle tightness, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So if they're reaching their arm up, is it because is the tightness is probably coming from the pecs and coming from maybe like the trapeze or not the traps, the, um, Tricep. Uh, tricep, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe like even like anterior delts. But yeah. if we start to look at, well, what are those opposite muscles? And so maybe it's because his traps aren't engaging properly. Maybe his posterior delts are not engaging properly. Bodybuilders are really good at messing up their bodies, like especially <laughs> like these kind of big heavyweight bodybuilders because they're able to push through pain they're able to access their fast twitch muscles but their slow twitch muscle fibers have not developed properly um and i can tell you like i've been actually having a lot of fun meeting bodybuilders recently and testing them and they're all of them all every single one of them is like oh my god i've got pain in my shoulders i've got pain you know um in my back and then i get them on my table and i test their force output of the pecs and like a lot of the shoulder like the anterior uh, serratus the triceps every single one of them is weak every single wow. one of them so they may be able to lift heavy weight because they have you know quick uh fast twitch fiber access but their slow twitch fiber muscles nothing yeah. Their slow twitch fiber muscles are dead in the water. And so they have a lot of this bulk, but there's no force output in those muscles that they have access to. So wow. tightness, again, is always the result of muscles not functioning properly. Uh, my teacher, Greg, um, from who, who create, who's the creator of muscle activation technique, one of the stories he often talks about is like, you know, he was a, he was barely able to touch his knees bending forward, mm -hmm. let alone touching his toes. But yet he was like a serious athlete, you know, football player, lift heavy weights, you know, and, and so one day he had this, he had somebody who activated all of his core muscles, drop down, touch his toes, no problem. Wow. So when we start to like, just because you have muscles there doesn't mean that those muscles are working um, and, and properly your, your ability to, you know, we got to, as you said, turn on the lights. Right. Wow. I love that. So it's so interesting. Like you, you work with these people and I would just assume I, cause I haven't worked in that way, like body work with bodybuilders. I would just assume, well, all their muscles are pretty well developed and like shape and size they probably have good yeah. strength but that's just hypertrophy right they just gain size and maybe they've compensated in other places and maybe they just push their injuries and it's yeah. like 
it's always important to think of any any sort of athlete who has if they're ever sort of idealizing a physique or appearance of a body or flexibility or range of motion or anything it's like they are probably suffering to get to that like in athletics you have to push through pain you have to get you get injured eventually like almost everybody gets injured eventually in athletic competition uh so it's not always like the best ideal of like then you look at somebody like Iyengar and Tabby Joyce when they're in their like 50 and like they don't look like athletes but like they're very you know strong endurance very flexible all the strength they can do all the arm balances uh so it's like it's I think it's important because to me, I grew up kind of like impressed and idealizing like the traditional, like uh, natural bodybuilder physique of like, oh, that's what a guy should look like. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and like <laughs> got really into bodybuilding, but then, then I found the yoga and, you know, kind of went on my journey with that of having both about like I realized you need both really like, like the slow twitch and the fast twitch. And because we're talking about that a lot, I'd love you for you to just give like your definition of that for anyone who's like not entirely sure what that means. Um, so what can you, can you rephrase the question? Like yeah. what, what were you asking me specifically? So like what is a slow twitch? Like how do slow twitch muscle fibers work? How do you activate them or not versus fast twitch? And like, why, sure. why is it important to know that? Yeah. So before I answer that, I just want to comment on one thing because yeah. I think you said something that a lot of yoga people think about, you know, we kind of, most of us, I think, kind of idolize people like Patabi Joyce and um, Mr. Angar. And we think like, well, if I practice enough, I'm going to become like them. Um, you know, I know that Patabi at a certain age stopped practicing altogether. Like when I say practice, doing the physical practice, I don't know what age it was, so I can't comment on that for a fact. But I do know that he did that. And I know that Mr. Engar practiced right up until he pretty much left his body. And, but when we compare ourselves like that, we have to also look at their lifestyles. Like the, I even see like some yoga teachers who in seemingly they live like this very kind of like, oh, I'm going to go practice for three hours and then drink my kombucha and, you know, relax. And that's their day. You know, but I'm going to just throw you into the mix, too. I think people like you and me, we're on our computers all day. You know, we're moving around in the world. We don't have a hundred. You and I don't have a hundred acolytes uh, mm -hmm. taking care of every single whim of ours. I mean, Mr. Eingar, I doubt ever made his own cup of tea. He probably had mm -hmm. 10 people to make him a cup of tea. Yeah. And so I think that we just have to kind of like think about, you know, I don't know what the physical strength of his Mr. Anger, but I can assume just because I can, you know, I have some knowledge of it that he probably did very little, you know, in his life that caused his body a lot of stress. And so, you know, when we're in the world and we're dealing with stress, you know, we have to go to the grocery store, we have to navigate the car on the road, you know, and dealing mm -hmm. with all of these crazy drivers, we have to deal with you know, the news, you know, constantly in our face, we have to deal with, um, you know, Taxes. people around us that are placing demands on us, you know, whether yes. it's children or family or whatever. So there's all of this stuff that's causing our neuro, you know, causing us stress at a neuromuscular level. 
And so, you know, some people and luckily don't have to deal with that. They have enough resources or people around them to take care of that. And I think it's really, I think it's, we have to be really careful when we compare ourselves. Like in my podcast series, I talk about like how a lot of people like you and me might compare ourselves. I know I did mm -hmm. like, oh, I want to be like those yogis in the Himalayas. Well, the yogis in the Himalayas, you know, way back when didn't make it past 35, 40 years old. They died in landslides and starvation and, you know, um, flooding and whatnot. Um, we're living until like 100, 120 years old now these days. And so I think it's really important that our, our yoga practice has to kind of match the lifestyle and so that we can maintain um I, I believe that we should be teaching people how to maintain a sense of stability and and so that we can access life in a better way. Like I love to hike and now I've put back on my hiking shoes because I've gotten more stable in my uh, hip flexors, which were the cause of my knee pain. The hip flexors weren't working, which are like the shock absorbers. And so whenever I go hiking, the knees would end up taking all the stress and uh, because my hip flexors and extensors weren't weren't working properly. So, you know, you asked me earlier about like slow twitch fiber versus fast twitch. It's really the slow twitch that we want to start building up that strength. Now, yes, we do obviously want to work on the fast twitch as well, but that comes more from doing activities like going on long hikes, going on long walks. We start to, you know, access those um, as well. But we really want to start strengthening the slow twitch fibers. And how we do that is through isometric contractions. Um, and the way that I teach it in my book, and I, I give a lot of exercises um, um, in the book that target specific muscles. Uh, so, you know, whether it's the transverse abs or obliques. So one of my favorite ones is for the obliques. And just simply just crossing your arms and you can do it in a cross-legged position. You could do it in a standing position, um, but you just kind of twist as much as you can one way. And then, you know, you're accessing your rotators of the body. You know, you do, you keep your hips, you keep, keep your hips locked. Well, and I'm in a swivel just, chair. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> You'll start spinning around and around and around. Um, but yeah, so then you hold that for six seconds and then you do it six times. And that's sort of the general rule of um, that as I've been taught of muscle activation and, and what we're doing when we're when we're really focused on creating that isometric contraction um, and then holding it. What that's doing at a neurological level is starting to tell the neuro the sending gamma through gamma motor neurons stimulating gamma motor neurons that's sending a message to the central nervous system hey there's a muscle here we want to contract and then the then the, then the um central nervous system sends back a message and says hey it's time to contract and so there you're starting to reinforce um if you want to call it like a loop you're reinforcing that loop and that neuromuscular connection which has been you know, I mean, I'm 51 years old. A lot of my neuromuscular connections have been damaged mm. due to stress, trauma, and overuse. So we're trying to slowly start to build it up and increase the stress tolerance so that 
like if you bend over, if you're walking out of yoga class, you drop your keys that you can bend over and pick up your keys without being afraid of hurting your back. Yeah. Yeah, it is really just the, the, from what I understand, as you hold poses longer, you get more muscular activation because there's not just like one muscle there in like the obliques is like lots of tiny, basically tiny muscles. And as you hold it longer, the ones you use, like kind of default get activated and then you hold longer. It's like, I got to keep holding this. Okay. More of the muscles come online. And eventually you get to that point of like failure where it's like everything is done as best it can to activate. And now like you can't do any more. Uh, and it's like, then you've got all the lights on and then you're more receptive to stretching, right? After that, like once you've done the activation, like in that particular muscle, like then you'd be more open to like a side bend or like a, you know, the opposite kind of action where it's now into lengthening, right? <laughs> so um so you you know there's a few ways to respond to what you said so uh -huh. when the science is showing that if you start to go longer than 30 seconds hmm. you're not doing anything you know you're not you're you're beyond the physiology you're not uh -huh. and, and there is actually a case to to make that you're actually beginning to stress out um, the body at a neuromuscular level. Okay, yeah. so this is happening again at a neuromuscular level. You begin to actually stress out that connection, and then the brain just cuts it off. It just dis it just disconnects. Wow. So what we're doing, what I always try and do, and approach it like you want that brain to muscle connection. Um, and so again, like that that those holds, like if we're doing that simple twist. You would do that for six seconds and then just repeat it uh, six times. Um, so you would hold it for, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, and then come on out. And as if you're teaching yoga class, you can do a breath and then come back into it again if you wanted to. Um, but you do want to be careful of not holding postures. Now, just for the record, I actually like to hold postures. But I'm very acutely aware that if I'm holding postures, that I'm also could be risking, you know, causing stress to the body. Yes. So I'm very particular in how I hold postures, what postures am I holding? And, and what I, when I'm setting up a pose, like, like I love teaching forward folds, seated forward folds, but I'm very cautious about how I set them up for a lot of reasons. But if I do, I prop up a lot. Um, yeah. And I and I tell students, and I set it up in a way so that they're they're not going to their flexibility, that they're going to their own sort of muscular contraction. So if you fold forward, it's like, how far is your abdominals allowing you to, to go? And then that's number one. And then number two, even backing off a little bit from that, and then just staying in the pose. And so when we're starting to hold poses more than 30 seconds, it really, and even more than a minute, and you're telling students, I want you to be still, just breathe. Mm -hmm. It then is, you know, it's like, it's yes. really psychological at that point. But to then your last thing about stretching. So I just don't teach stretching anymore. I don't, mm. I don't set up 
I just don't do it. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But the primary reason goes back to what I said earlier, that if you are stretching, you're starting to bypass that neurological loop and then you cut off this proprioception. So if I was with you in your home and we did, um, you know, I tested your obliques, hmm. for example. And then I said to you, okay, let's do this muscle activation. I tested your obliques, they test weak. And so then I said, okay, let's get them strong. Let's do this muscle activation and get them working again. And we got them working. I went back and I tested them and they were strong. And then I said, okay, let's see how far you can twist now, Jeremy. So <laughs> then I said, okay, I want you to come here, bring your hands to your knees. And then I want you to use your arms to push as far as you can. Um, if when you came out of that and I went and tested you, you would test weak. You mm. would test weak because your brain didn't know which muscles to tell to contract. So you would be left in a weakened state. So I'm not a huge fan of stretching just for that yes. like little reason. Um, and now you get students that are like, you know, this is one of the axioms of a yama, applied yoga anatomy and muscle activation, that if you really are like, I just want to stretch. If you're like, really like that, then I would say the best time to stretch, if you must, is <laughs> before you go to bed, because, you know, you do it right next to your bed and then you jump into bed. Well, maybe not jump, slide into bed. <laughs> <laughs> and because there's no accountability, you're lying on your back, you're resting and you're, you're, you're not going to be using your body in a way that might compromise you. You have no keys to drop on the way to the car. You don't have to drive home. You don't have groceries to pick up. So you just slide into bed because there is nothing that's going to necessarily uh, put stress on your body. So you might still teach like triangle pose you mentioned earlier, and it might yeah. look like the Iyengar style of triangle pose, but you're emphasizing more like quad activation in the front leg, uh, like obliques, rotators. Like, is this kind of my understanding right? You, you're you almost there. Like <laughs> I would I would also just set it up a little differently. So I, I yeah. do set up poses a little differently. And the way, the, the simple explanation is that I just take out the opportunity for someone to drop into their flexibility. So for example, with triangle pose, and you can even do it seated there, right where you are, yeah. is you cross your arms and you don't have to stand up. It's the same kind of idea. And so if we're going, say we're gonna to go to your right. So if you're going to your right, you bring the right shoulder to the right hip bone. So really focus on squeezing that and let your sit bones stay on the ground, of course because we're seated right now, but do you feel your your oblique muscles, your lateral obliques engaging on your right side? So then come back up. So then I might do that six seconds, six times. It depends on the kind of class and what preparation I let into it, but I would probably just teach it like that. So it would say, squeeze the right shoulder to the right hip bone. And then, a, and then maybe after I've done that a few times on the next time I would say, Squeeze your right shoulder to the right hip bone. Now bring your left arm up to the sky and keep that right arm where it is, that right hand where it is. Now reach up, but squeeze that right shoulder to the right hip bone 
and then maybe then just drop that right arm. And I wouldn't say reach mm -hmm. for the floor. I would just say, just drop it. And wow. so now we're not focused so much on the side that we're quote unquote stretching. We're focused more on keeping the oblique muscles engaged. So if you ask, like, try it out next time when you teach a class. Yeah. And when you teach a class next time, ask your students, go as far as you can. Get that hand to the floor, everybody. Mm -hmm. I don't care what it looks like. Just get to the floor. They're going to go into their flexibility. They're going to go into a range of motion that their neuromuscular system isn't prepared for. But then you say, okay, keep your body as still as you can. Now lift off the floor three inches. Most people won't be able to do it. Mm. Or if they do, they're going to compensate somewhere. They're going to put stress on their back. They're going to put stress somewhere because there's no accountability in that range of motion. There's no muscular um, muscles that are activated. You've bypassed every muscle to get that arm down. Um, and so what I try to do is to teach from a place where I'm constantly creating accountability in the muscular system. I try most, most of the time I'm pretty successful, but, um, and then, then then that way, I know when they come out of the pose, that they're going to be stronger, not weaker. Very cool. Yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I could feel, I think you intuitively right. My obliques are probably with test week. I could feel that it was like kind of hard to, to get the activation there, but I can do triangle, you know, uh, you know, my triangle pose looks really picturesque but I'm not, I almost never think about my obliques in that way. So that's something I'll definitely be, definitely be reading your book and exploring this more. Yes. I actually would love to hear your like feedback because you did this anatomy course, you know, and you've done this, you've done some anatomy training. I would love to like get your compare and contrast and what is different and what serves you you know, what served, what served you, how yeah. this can serve you more. Um, and, and so what, one of the things that I do in my book, Jeremy, is look at like postures, like triangle pose, what are we actually doing? Um, and that's a rhetorical question, but yeah. what, what are we actually doing in the pose? What muscles are, should be working here? Um, if we're doing like wheel pose, you know, when, uh, when I teach teacher training, one of the questions I love to ask people is, you know, how many postures do you think it takes to prepare for wheel pose? You get like, you know, 10, 15, 25, I say three, you only need three postures because you need to look at, well, what muscles need to shorten in order to contract, to get us up into wheel and so you, when you start to approach things from looking at poses, and this is the fun part for me, like this is where my brain just goes, oh my God, you know, I want to dive in right now, is mm -hmm. looking and analyzing, okay, well, what, what muscles are shortening and how do I, what postures or what muscle activations, if you want to call it that. A lot of the muscle activations, by the way, look a lot like yoga postures, mm -hmm. like one of the muscle activations for uh wheel pose urdhva dhanurasana is bridge pose you know yeah. satubandasana and so you but you do it in a specific way so you're really focusing on squeezing the glutes and of course doing that six seconds and six times you're doing shalabhasana 
which engages the lower back muscles, specifically the longissimus. So when we start to be able to identify like what muscles need to shorten, then we do these muscle activations, we can go into postures, not only with more um, stability, but also more strength. Um, and, and it's like, wow, people can really start to feel like, oh my God, I did this pose and I don't have pain anywhere in my body when I go into it. Yes. That is great. Uh, and that is, uh, you know, years ago, you, you'd never <laughs> activate your glutes and bridge. That's a big no-no, right? And like yes. people realize, <laughs> wait a minute, hip extension, the glutes are hip extenders. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so, I know we've grown a lot in the yoga world. <laughs> yeah. We're in a much better time now. And thanks to things like what you're doing and your book and your podcast. So I know we got to wrap up now, but I'd love to just uh, have you share how people can keep in touch with you, your podcast, your website, anything yes. like that. Yes. Um, and, and if you ever want me to come on back on and we'll talk about like specific things, I'm happy to do so. It's it's yeah. a lot of fun. I always get a big charge out of talking with other yoga teachers. It makes me, nothing makes me happier. So th thank you so much for having oh, me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And I'm humbled. So thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, so where can people find you? Um, the best way to go look for me is two places, yogiaron.com. It's sort of a portal into everything. I have free a free seven day pain-free series there. People can access that. And through that series, learn more about me. And I go through the different uh, systems of the body. And then the next best thing to do, or the best thing to do is go on Amazon uh, and look for stop stretching. <laughs> <laughs> It'll pop up right away. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you so much again, Aaron, and we'll definitely talk again in the future. Thank you so much, Jeremy.